Hello there and welcome to Defiance. I'm your host Peter McCormack and to wrap up this chaos series I've asked Chart, a Republican and Julie, a Democrat, to return for a recap on the series. Now we heard from both of them in the first episode and I was keen to catch up with them following everything which has happened since the election. And starting this series I believe that Republicans and Democrats like Julie and Chart fundamentally want the same things and that although there are differences they are far closer than people might expect and that really it is the politicians, news outlets and social media who are to blame for the growing division. As I made the series most of my assumptions were proven right and I learned a lot about why liberals and conservatives are so different and why they may argue at cross purposes. I was particularly interested in the work by Jonathan Haidt and his book The Righteous Mind, it was a real eye opener for me. So when I asked them to come back on I was hoping that this conversation would be more about unity and the future and how people in America might come together and perhaps this was naive as the conversation did not come out how I expected. Anyway I am open to feedback, whatever you think about this series you can reach out to me, my email address is peter at defiance.news and I will get back to you if you do write to me. But before we get into the interview, I do need to also thank my sponsor Kraken, the best place for buying Bitcoin. They are consistently rated the most secure cryptocurrency exchange and Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? If not, and you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please do check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which Kraken also sponsors. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having any controlling party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is an opt-out to government fuckery. And as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. You can find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, if you have enjoyed Defiance and you want to support the show, please do go and leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe. You can also follow me on social media and you can share the show out with your friends and family. As I said, if you want to get in touch, my email address is peter at defiance.news. Uh, yeah, so Charles, I'll start with you. Just, we're, you know, we're a few weeks out now from the election. Um, how are you personally reflecting on this last few weeks? You know, it's been nice to not have it on the the news all the time and not have to pay as much attention to it and have all the kind of apprehension and all of that. So it's it's been um, you know a time to unwind and and kind of reflect on what happened, but also look forward to you know the future. And at the same time, we're still somewhat unsettled until we have the results from from Georgia and uh, you know know what the, the makeup of the balance of the power of the Senate is. So. That that's kind of been on my mind and and where my mind's been and on my thoughts. Do you have any particular thoughts on how it all played out after the election, the lawsuits, the challenges from Donald Trump, uh, some of his claims that the vote the election was rigged? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like I, I thought that rigged was perhaps a you know a, a extreme term, but you know I, I I viewed it this way, which was that. If there is malfeasance, you know, I'd like to know about it. And I think everybody who, you know, cares about, uh, you know, a functioning democracy would want to know about it. But you have to prove your claims, right? And, and so from the very beginning, my mindset was, you know, look, you got these, you know, claims you're making, prove them in court. And obviously, I think they're like one for 59 on legal challenges right now. So not a very good track record. And I think that speaks to the the quality of, of most of, if not all of the underlying claims to begin with. Julie, yourself, how do you reflect on this last few weeks? As much as I think 
I knew what was going to happen. It's been a pretty frustrating set of weeks. I think we've had almost a circus of politics, uh, a waste of, of a lot of energy and time. I mean, I agree. I think the uh, lawsuits and all of the claims were just, I, in many ways, I think an embarrassment to making claims about things that didn't happen. But it has definitely taken a lot of people to, you know, through the legal system and, and whatnot, to, to, to get to the stage that we're at today. And yet, I don't feel even now that the Electoral College has voted and Senator McConnell has encouraged the Senate to kind of let everything settle and move on, that the country is settled, right? I, there's still a huge percentage of Republicans that believe that there was some sort of fraud or that Biden didn't win this on his own. And, you know, it's really, it's concerning to me because it's in many ways sort of devaluing our election process. Um, and I've been really just disappointed by the media, the Trump administration, many of the Republicans that have, have supported this, you know, very much baseless claims. And for me personally, I, a couple of weeks ago, really needed to stop watching the news. It was, you know, the anxiety and stress, I think, that just comes from this and my frustration that I would have with anyone on TV talking about it. I just don't think it's particularly healthy for both the country or for individuals. So I, I do hope that we can get to a stage where we're not talking about elections or who's in power or, I mean, just take a break, honestly, to something that, you know, get back to things that maybe are more important on a daily basis to most people. Julie, as, as, during this process, is there any part of you that's become compassionate with any parts of the Republican ideals or the kind of things that Republican people stand for? And and do you think in the future that you might spend a different amount of time trying to s s talk to uh, people who have a kind of different worldview than you and, and try and understand a bit more? I don't think that what we have is a difference in like political viewpoint, right? I don't think that's what this is actually about. I think much of this has been kind of a if you're part of a party, you have to go down with every belief that somebody has at the top. And I think that Donald Trump has had these beliefs about voter fraud that he started years ago, didn't win. Then it was like, well, there must be something wrong with the system. And anybody who didn't go along with him, I mean, honestly, he just kind of lambasted them in, in social media, right? Bill Barr and the Justice Department say there's no evidence of voter fraud. And guess what? Now he's out of a job. And so I think, if anything, I've been incredibly more frustrated with those in power, those have been elected into positions to represent their, the citizens of their state, to then just blindly just believe all of this and kind of like, well, you know, we're Republicans, therefore we have to go along with whatever the Republicans are saying. So I would say I'm even more disappointed and frustrated than before. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's about what viewpoints Republicans versus Democrats have. I think it's this idea that you're part of a party, therefore you have to believe every ideal that the head of that party is, is saying or spewing. And that is not the political system that I'm familiar with or what I'd like to see in this country.
chart, just uh, for you, Nick, and referring kind yeah. of to what Julie's saying, how, how do you reflect on the kind of four years of Trump, the, the good and the bad? Do you think he's been a force for good, a force for bad? Is it a mixed bag? How do, how do you feel about it? Yeah, look, I mean, I think if, you know, you're driven by, um, you know, outcomes the way I am, then you have to look at his legacy and, and kind of the totality of the positive and negative outcomes that he achieved and kind of also ask the question of, you know, where did he differ from sort of a middle of the road, uh, you know, Republican president? You know, how did his presidency differ and, and on what things did he, you know, make accomplishments? And, I, and for me, as we've talked about before, you know, I mean, his foreign policy accomplishments are, are, are you know, quite impressive. Um, and, you know, I, I take a, a great deal of pride in the fact that he's the first president in generations not to get us involved in a, you know, another conflict outside the United States. And he attempted to draw us down out of many others. Um, you know, he appointed an ambassador to Afghanistan recently, who obviously will never get confirmed, but who was essentially the head of, you know, defense priorities. Um, and so somebody who was really, uh, you know, interested in, in getting us completely out. Um, so for me, I, I think those are, those are things I view very favorably. Um, the accomplishment on tax cuts, ending the salt deduction, um, you know, doubling the standard deduction for individual taxpayers. You know, these are all things that I, I think are, are accomplishments and, and I view very favorably. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's, he's had some wins. He's certainly been controversial. And there have, you know, been places where I, I don't agree with him as much on, uh, you know, immigration and trade, for example. But, you know, overall, I, I've, I'm pleased with the outcomes from the presidency. And, Chuck, how do you feel about the future for the GOP? Do you think that Trump will continue to have a, an influence? Is that a good or a bad thing? What would you like to see next for the party? This is like the 50 gajillion dollar question that no one really knows how to answer. I think you'll see... You know him obviously retaining a role as long as he has you know has the ability to speak in front of a microphone he's he's got to be out there um or you know can even punch anything into twitter right i mean his so his role will be outsized um I, I think that he showed the party a way forward um as a party of working people and of uh you know working class people uh, as opposed to sort of the you know, Milton Friedman approach, so to speak, you know, which I frankly favor, but, you know, he made that kind of politics relevant for the everyday person, which is something that, you know, Paul Ryan and all those guys had been struggling with for a long time. They didn't understand how to do it. And, and so I think to that extent, you know, he's, he's definitely going to remain, his presence and what he did will remain outsized in the party for, you know, decades to come. I've spent quite a bit of time during these last few weeks looking at the psychology of why people maybe vote Republican or Democratic and the way people uh, debate and discuss and argue points. Specifically with regards to Donald Trump, obviously you're very much outcome-based and we talked about that in the first interview, but what do you think it is that maybe people who tend to vote Democratic or maybe have switched in this last election don't understand about Trump and people who vote for Trump? I'm probably not the best person to answer this question, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it an attempt anyway. You know, it actually, I think it can almost go back further, you know, to Bush, where, you know, when people were voting for Bush, uh, you know, I specifically remember the 04 election. I remember just Pulsar saying, you know, why are you supporting? Well, like, I don't always agree with him on everything, but at least I know where I stand. 
And I think it's that strength of direction and leadership and clarity was what so many people found appealing about Trump. And, you know, he obviously spoke to people who, you know, felt like they no longer had a voice in, you know, the, the Democratic Party or, um, you know, really in the Republican Party uh, to, to a certain extent. So a lot of disaffected folks, I mean, a lot, a lot of angst and slips spilt on this. But I, I think that's the number one thing is just understanding that, you know, the, his strength as a leader, you know, something people really, really admire, even if it's sort of built on this, you know, almost caricature of, of what leadership is, it still comes across that way, I think, to, you know, the vast majority of people. You know, Roger Stone has this, you know, great quote um, about, you know, The Apprentice and how, you know, Trump looks in command on The Apprentice. He's, you know, firing people. He's in charge and, you know, making the point that, you know, how is that different from being president? How did, how do you tell the difference? Could the average American uh, tell the difference when they care. And, and I think that's exactly right. I mean, in a media-based environment, the way we are, um, you know, he looked the part and he was able to to play the part. And at the end of the day, politics is, is mostly acting, <laughs> um, you know, to a certain extent. It's acting and with, you know, kind of policy right behind it. But, um, you know, he was a great actor and he's obviously played the role perfectly. Julie, I know you obviously have very strong opinions about Donald Trump and we've discussed this before and also you know myself I kind of mix in circles of people who who are conservative and you know more liberal and I've spoken to a lot of friends who are it's not so much they're supporters of Trump but they are certainly supporters of some of the things he's done and I have friends who are now exiting places like San Francisco and a lot of them wanting to move to red states uh, Texas uh, Wyoming etc is there any part of what Trump has done that you do have sympathy for, empathy for? No, I don't. I, you know, I, I think that Trump, when I really reflect on his time in office, he's been very self-serving. He does what is best for him. And yet, in many ways, he takes a lot of actions that are contrary to his goals. I think his goal is to remain in power. His goal is to continue to have the spotlight and have the TV time and the airtime and everyone talking about him and Twitter followers. That's, I think, what motivates him more than anything. And I think the number one thing that he could have done to stay in office was to actually do something about COVID. And it, it, honestly, if Trump had taken more of a leadership position on COVID, I think he would be, in, he would be spending another four years in the White House, without a doubt. But yeah, so I was going to say, if you think he was going to spend another four years in the White House, it's obviously, you know, we're talking about 75 million people who did vote for him and maybe some more would have. Why do you think so many people did actually support Trump? And we're not talking just about traditional Republican voters. We're also talking about people who historically are Democratic voters. You know, in the couple of days following the election, when I saw the numbers of people that voted for him, I... I would say I definitely went into a state of, of, you know, mild depression of thinking how, how much we're not either. I just don't relate to all of those people or there's something I'm absolutely missing. And I, I agree with your point that we're not talking enough. Cause I think there's a lot of places where we all agree. And I, you know, I don't have some belief that if you don't agree with me, we can't be friends. That's not the case. I think there's a lot of places where there's a common 
understanding and agreement. But I definitely was confused by the sheer number of people that voted for him because you know, we have the highest death rate around COVID. It's horrible what's going on, right? It's horrible that most countries have this more under control and the United States being one of the largest countries in the world has one of, if not the worst response to COVID. I, I look at the behavior that Trump exudes and the example he's setting, you know, again, for children or for attacking anyone who doesn't agree with him. Like, you know, to me, there's a value thing that I don't get it. I don't get voting for a guy that's so belligerent and belittling to people. Maybe, you know, I maybe I just put that into a higher standard that I expect from a leader than others. And that's just, you know, that's what voting comes down to. You know, some people are voting. I think there's a lot of people voting Republican that are focused on one or two issues. And, and to be fair, I think that's true of both parties, right? Whether it's, you know, being pro-life or pro-choice, how you feel about gay marriage. I mean, there's just a couple of things that no matter what, people are going to vote around those issues. And so I think, you know, what it demonstrated is there's a lot of that you know, influence and also people's desire to, you know, ensure that if you're, if you're, and if you really want Roe v. Wade overturned, then you're going to, you know, vote Republican no matter what. And so it's almost like, you know, everyone boils down the complexity of elections and politics down to one or two issues. But it's actually way more complex than that. Chart, when we first spoke, we just talked about a lot about COVID. And I'm, again, I tend to be a bit of a centrist, um, although uh, Republicans would say I'm a lefty. But in the UK, I'm definitely considered a centrist. And I've really struggled with COVID because part of me is considered... Well, I'm just considering the complexity of it all, you know, the uh, impact on health system, but also the impact on the economy. Has any part of your thoughts regarding Trump's response to COVID changed since we've spoken? No, not at all. I mean, I think the outcome would have been pretty much the exact same if you'd had a Democratic president or anybody else's president. And, and part of that, I think, is related to the unique nature of the American federal system, where you have 50 states. Um, you know, where states have the police power. Um, and, and so these matters have, you know, historically in America, uh, public health issues have been state and local issues. And even if you had some sort of, you know, I don't know what you want to call it or, or what would have happened, you know, some coordinated federal response, I'm not sure how that would have or even could have you know, superseded, uh, you know, lawful orders at the state and and local level. Um, it, it's it's just a kind of baffling to me, this notion that there was some magic fairy wand that Trump could have waved that, you know, would have stopped the virus from from spreading. You know, I, I just fundamentally disagree with that uh, sort of assertion. Uh, yeah, who's happy with, you know, the, the outcomes that we've had? Like, nobody, a bunch of people died. I mean, it's, it's tragic, it's awful. But I mean, some of the worst states were blue states. Um, you know, where, where, where we had, you know, big deaths. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It's, it's not as simple as, oh, it was, you know, blue states, but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of um, complexity to it. So I don't buy the argument that, oh, you know, Trump had this just awful response to COVID and he's responsible for all these people dying. I mean, I think that ignores the nature of, of this thing that we, we faced down and, and just how, you know, virulent and uh, quickly, you know, it, it spreads. 
uh, I do agree with Julie that, um, you know, but for, you know, COVID, I, he'd be president. I mean, he was a shoo-in at that point. We had the lowest unemployment, you know, in, in generations. And, um, you know, the quality of life was, was you know, very, very high and getting better. And, and, you know, real wages were going up. I mean, you know, across the board, any economic indicator you want to look at, we were, we were killing it. And, and so I do think COVID was, you know, something that came very unnaturally to Trump as a politician in how to deal with it. You know, pandemic leader um, is not something I would have, you know, put at the top of his uh, capabilities list uh, as a president if I were looking at him on, on paper. So I think it was an awful fit for him. I think it shows uh, politically, you know, with, with how his response has been perceived by, uh, you know, a lot of folks, including folks like Julie. Um, but, but I disagree with the notion that there was some, you know, magic policy they could have rolled out that, that would have, you know, saved hundreds of thousands of lives or something like that. So. Can I ask you, Chart, how do you, how do you rationalize that versus the death rate in other countries? Because I've heard this argument a little bit, right, of the, well, like, what more could Trump have done? Yet the death per capita rate is significantly higher in the U.S. than any other country. You know, I mean, I don't have a great explanation for that. I'm not a public health or, you know, policy scientist. But, I mean, he did pretty much everything Fauci was asking him to do. You know, they did obviously have some kind of bickering back and forth. But, you know, and the CDC, frankly, was was no great help to any of us at one point you know not recommending masks and then coming back and recommending them and um so forth and so on but i i think we're a unique country and that we value you know our individual liberty and individual freedom a great deal and you know the actions taken by a lot of different folks you know at all levels i think reflect that uh so i would blame that you know our kind of intrinsic nature as americans more than i would on you know, the fact that there was not a more coordinated federal, you know, response. And so I would put the question back on you. What policy should he have implemented? So I think part of the problem is we did have this different state by state response. And a lot of states, I, it bothers me that we kind of do this red state, blue state thing, because, again, you know, we have we have Democrats and Republicans in every state. But many of the states who decided not to have any sort of mask, you know, mandates, you know, are now some of those states that are the hardest hit and have only gone more recently and implemented those things. South Dakota, for example, and, and there's there's plenty of others. Um, you know, I think this thing about the CDC mandated masks, didn't mandate masks, and they didn't man mandate masks. I think part of this is that at the beginning, a lot of people weren't didn't know and. Fauci had said for people not to run out and go get masks, which I think was very much more specific around N95 masks. And it's like when we did start to know more about this virus and realizing that people staying home and not spreading it is really the only thing that's going to help us outside of a vaccine, had, had everyone stayed home for 30 or 60 days, I think this would be over. You know, and here we are 10 months later we're now doing many of the things that we should have done in March or April. And so, you know, Trump has decided not to have task force meetings or press conferences. In fact, I would go so far to say that Trump has had zero interaction with COVID for the last several months. And I think Fauci being a, like a very well-respected person, like it became like a personal attack on this guy. 
who knows more about infectious disease than probably anybody in the United States. And so I look at this and I'm like, I don't know, it couldn't have done worse. Um, you know, I don't think that the, you know, this, this concept of everyone has individual rights, it's like, yeah, but we, we tell people to wear seatbelts in cars. We tell people to sit down and shut up on airplanes. I mean, we have rules that as a society we have to, to live by. And it's difficult for me to listen to some of the, the argument of like, well, you know, people don't want to be told what to do. But that's, that's living in a society. Chart, do you think democracy was strengthened or weakened during this election? I, I kind of reject the premise of the question a little bit, you know, um, like, look, we've, we've always had competitive elections in America, um, you know, elections in politics in America has always been blood sport. Um, you know, you and I had this conversation about, you know, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams calling each other hermaphrodites. And, you know, so it's, it is just a rough and tumble game. Um, that's, that's part of the, the deal. And, this was a particularly rough one. I don't think anybody's debating that. But, right, I mean, you're seeing the genius of the founders and the way that it's all playing out, right? I mean, the, the system, so to speak, has, has worked yet again, and we're going to celebrate the peaceful transfer of power um, yet again, you know, for the however many time, you know, whatever number of time this is. So, you know, if anything, when you have a hard one like this and uh, everything works, to me, it's something to celebrate. It shows that, you know, that our system of government and the Constitution is stronger than, you know, any kind of personalities that might get thrown at it. So I'm optimistic. Julie, the same question to you. I really think that we've put a, a real dent in democracy and people's faith in elections. I don't, I don't think this is necessarily a peaceful transfer of power. I don't think that Donald Trump is going to be at Biden's inauguration. I don't think that President Trump is going to ever admit that he lost. He may leave the White House, but he's never going to call and congratulate Biden. So I, I definitely don't think this is just a standard type of election. I don't think we've ever seen this before. And forever, we're going to hear Trump talk about how the election was stolen from him. I mean, even from 2016, he, even though he won, he was claiming that there were tons of illegal votes, which is why he didn't win the popular vote. So I think that what we've, not that these things didn't exist before, but in a much more, uh, in a much larger way, we're seeing this people not believing the results. I mean, we're still talking, even though um, the Trump campaign only won one of 50-something lawsuits, it continues to be that, you know, the election was stolen, um, you know, and these continual claims. And that, I think, is really damaging to the democratic process. Furthermore, I think it's actually damaging to the Senate runoff races in Georgia. I think, you know, Trump... Uh, calling out the governor of, of Georgia, Brian Kemp, for not helping to, you know, have him win that state, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what kind of impact all of this has on those future elections. So, Chart, looking forward, th th there is a lot of divisiveness. I know you said, it, you know, politics is, is a blood sport. Um, 
I've always been interested in US politics. This one does seem particularly rough. Moving forward, do you think anything needs to change? Is there anything that you would like to see happen that maybe would bring a little more harmony? Is is more harmony required? It's kind of a broad question, but I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Well, as you and I discussed, you know, banning politics on social media, I think, would be a fantastic thing. (laughs) Uh, Obviously very unrealistic, but, you know, we, we talked about how, you know, you used to have to hear your crazy uncle's thoughts, whether whichever side you were on, you know, once a year at Thanksgiving. And and now he's, you know, you're seeing his stuff every single day. And, you know, it just has a negative impact on on kind of all of us to, to be exposed to all that. And, uh, you know, the negative feedback loop of, oh, you like one thing and then all of a sudden before you know it, you're getting stuff from, you know, QAnon or the Communist Party or whatever. And, and so, you know, that's the thing I'd love to see change the most is like maybe just an unwritten kind of social rule that we all adopt that, you know, that just stops happening. But it's obviously never, never something that is, is going to be in the cards. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the number one thing to me is, you know, just how how problematic social media has made, made politics and how divisive it's made it. It sounds like you're resigned to things not really changing, though. I mean, look, as we've discussed, I'm a historian, right? I mean, that's, you know, what I focus on. And and so, like, I kind of take the long game and and look at it from a, you know, broader, more historical perspective. And I mean, from where I'm sitting, America is still doing great, you know, as as a country, as a nation and and, in the direction we're going. I'm obviously not, you know, thrilled with the fact that we just had this pandemic and it's had, you know, big impacts on our society. But you know, I think if you take the, a broader look at, um, you know, a lot of our advantages as a country, uh, they situate us well for for the future and, and for, you know, the, the kind of changing economy. Uh, I do worry about, you know, a lot of our institutions and especially the faith of, uh, you know, our citizens in our institutions. You know, that to me is is problematic. But, you know, I, I think overall the, you know, the the, the strengths that we have um, are very big and, and, you know, I think will position us well for the future. Julie, the same question to you. I definitely would like to see some changes in the next few years. I, I I'm, It's frustrating to see what just happened. I mean, I think there's one of the things that really got us into this place that I, I think is a huge change over the last four years is sort of what is, what is a fact, what is true. And I don't think there's any easy way to get to, 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 to get that answered, given our current media landscape. But we can't have a different set of facts that everyone's operating on. Right? We're just going to, like, I don't know how you move forward in that. Um, so, so somehow to get alignment. I think, too, I think the, the divisiveness of the parties has gotten worse to the point where they're unable to to almost do anything. Um, you know, citizens have been waiting on this second stimulus package and it just goes on and on and on. And I think if everyone put their parties aside and tried to do what was best for, for individuals and citizens of this country, they would have passed something. And there's a bit of waiting, like who's in power, who's gonna take credit for it, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's dangerous um, because we're really not focused on what's right for people. 
Um, I think if there were maybe even some tactical things, I I think what what happened with this election, you know, we sit around and we wait for all the reporting uh, to come in on the night of the election. And this county has reported and you know, this percentage, et cetera. And it allowed for the night of the election in certain states where they had reported the in-person voting. And then once you add in the mail-in voting, the results would change. And, and maybe this system where we sort of stand by and watch the results come in is not the best way for us to move forward. Maybe it would be better if the states only reported once all of the votes were in. Because I, I think one of the narratives that Trump has been using is, well, on the night of the election, I was winning. I had won. And then all of these mail-in ballots were counted. And, and almost creating a narrative around fraud just in the way we actually report the news. It's like, would we be better just to, until the state was 100% done, we don't say anything. Um, so that, that it's, it's not this sort of like, how is it, it's, it's not a game, it's not a sporting event. It's like, there's just a winner and a loser. And there, there really is no game leading up to that point. It's just, but you know, I, I watch CNN and they're clicking around on the map on the screen and this county is this much report. None of it's relevant. It's really at the, at the heart of it, like at the end of the day, what happened in Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening to Defiance and this series, Chaos. Now, when I set out to make this series, I thought that I would be able to get to the bottom of what's causing the increasing political division and partisanship in America. And I learned so much. And what I found is that there isn't really any one thing to blame for this growing divide. It's many things from the news outlets to social media and even the elected officials. It's just embedded into American society right now. And look, politics is ingrained in all of our lives and it's more polarizing and more charged than ever before. And when neither side is willing to concede on a single thing or can't even agree on the basic facts, is there any point in covering politics anymore? Am I just adding to the noise? Whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, whether you like Trump or not, his mark on politics is here to stay, and if there's one thing that defines Trump's legacy for me, it is division. And I know that is going to piss some people off, certainly people who maybe are Republican who listen to this who think I haven't been fair, but it is the conclusion I've come to. The strange thing is now that I regret making the series. It is a battle you can't win, and has pushed me further away from politics. All I see is flaws, a broken system which is turning people against each other, and I'm particularly concerned with the role of news and social media, how both are incentivized to stoke the division, but I don't know what the answer is. But for me, what I've realized is true is that it is a game you can't win, and so I've decided to no longer play, and I won't be covering politics like this again. As I said, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you do have any questions and you do want to reach out to me, my email address is peter at defiance.news. Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are, and whatever you need. To find out more, head over to kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. 
Outside of this, I do have a couple of thanks. Thanks to the team for Tom for pitching in and helping me sometimes, and also Danny for his amazing work on production. As I said, if you want to reach out to me, if you have any questions about the show or you want to raise any particular points, you can contact me on peter at defiance.news. Outside of that, have a great weekend, and I'll see you all soon.